0: Well, amen. We are continuing in our series, Conversations with God, this morning, and uh, I'm excited for where the Lord is going to lead us. Uh, And as we talked about last week, this is part two to last week's uh, start on this topic, this conversation with God. And so if you missed last week, uh, I encourage you to go back and you can catch that online. You can see that on our app, any different number of ways. You can watch that back and kind of catch up with where we were last week. Um, but I'm excited to be able to dive into this. And so if you're new with us this morning, uh, what we're doing, and we've been doing for a few weeks, we'll do it for a couple of more weeks, is a series called Conversations with God. And so the idea is, if you could sit down with God and have a cup of coffee, you could have a conversation with him. What would be something you would want to talk to God about? What well, would be a question that you would have and you want to get God's opinion on or God's idea on? Uh, we actually have done uh, two other series with the same title, Conversations with God, uh, one in 2018 one in 2020, and then now this year. And so we've covered a lot of different questions in those other two series and this one as well. And so if you missed any of those other ones, uh, I believe you can access those online as well. Uh, We also do have that in CD form as well. So, uh, But I want to encourage you to catch up on those and kind of, again, go back to we've covered a lot of conversations. But this morning, we're continuing our talk from last week, and it's really fitting uh, the way that the Lord orchestrates things out, that we actually have had a communion this morning. And so at the end of service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But um, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to get there when we do our communion, uh, Paul says that you do show the Lord's death till he come. And I love that we're talking about this morning, when is he going to come and get us? When is he going to come and get us? Now, I don't know about you, but I can raise my hand to this. Anyone looking forward to that day when the Lord comes and gets us, amen? When we don't have to deal with all this stuff we're dealing with today, and I'm not talking about just in our world today, what we've been dealing with, since Genesis chapter three, right? The fall of man brought a curse upon creation, upon mankind that now we live distant from God. Our hearts are distant from God. Our very creation is broken in sin. Um, and so one day, whether we go to be with him or he comes and gets us, it is going to be an amazing day when we can leave this world behind. Uh, I was blessed this last week to be able to do a funeral service or a home going, if you will, for uh, a woman that I never met. And just a local funeral home that uh, they didn't have a pastor to do uh, the service. And so he called me up and said, hey, would you be interested? And I said, of course. And so I was able to go over there and do that. And uh, not knowing them, as I was talking to her husband about just her and her life and just trying to get an idea of who she was to honor her appropriately. And, and as I was speaking with him and I was sharing that there's a hope in Christ that goes beyond this life. And he looked at me and with kind of tears in his eyes he says, yeah, she believed that. And I thought that was so cool. And he told me about how she later in life came to know Christ and kind of rekindled her faith and then was baptized in a church that they attended. Unfortunately, the church apparently closed for whatever reason. And so he was kind of saying, he's like, yeah, we never really got back in the church, but she believed in Jesus Christ. And, and I was so excited to know and I kind of shared this with the audience there that, that I didn't know her this side of heaven. But one day, I believe I will be walking in his kingdom and I will meet her for the very first time. And be able to talk about that moment. And have a, a moment where we can reconnect. Where I, I read about her in her obituary. I heard about her from family and friends. But I will actually meet her one day. And how, what an amazing comfort that brings to family members. And those that have lost loved ones. And see that's, that's the reality of what we're talking about this morning. This is not all there is. And praise God it's not. I've heard it said that for the follower of Christ. This comes nowhere near to what heaven will be. And for the person who doesn't know Christ, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. And it's a sobering thought to think about the fact that if you know Christ, then you will spend eternity with him, whether he comes and returns and you're alive to see that or whether you go and he takes you home. But if you don't know Christ, it's not when they lower you in the ground. That's it. It's done. No, there is appointed unto man, the Bible says, once to die. And after this, the judgment. And so the judgment's not going to judge your works and find out if you're good enough because that judgment has been made already through the word of God. You are not good enough. That love that he pursues us with, we don't deserve it. We're saying that. He pursues us with his grace and his love. And it's receiving that grace through Christ, committing our lives to him, repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ. That brings us not just a better life this side of heaven as some try to sell it, Man, it brings you life, eternal. And when you leave this world or he returns, you don't have to say things like, I hope I'll get in. I hope I'll get through the gates. It's, oh, no, no, no. I bow humbly in the person and work of Jesus Christ because it's under his blood, it's under his grace that I come. We don't go to the Father or his kingdom because we are good enough. We go because we receive Christ as our Savior. Christ is risen from the dead. I love that song that Sandra sang by Matt Marr. Church, come awake. Why can the church be awake and alive and revived? Because Christ is risen from the dead. So we don't need to fear death and hell or mankind and fear what the world may do. We have a hope and a guarantee through the word of God. Not I hope and wish on a star, but I know by the guarantee of God's word that Christ is risen. And if he rose then he ascended and if he ascended we're going to read this morning the same way he ascended he will come again and so i want to unpack this this morning a little bit we're going to go back to acts chapter one so if you have your bible you can turn to acts chapter one and we're going to be reading in just a few verses here to review what we talked about last week we read this passage last week but if you uh, either weren't with us or just as a review i want to kind of take us back there But Acts chapter one. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four gospels of the New Testament. Then the book of Acts follows the Gospel of John. So Acts chapter one. Look at verse six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, "Lord, when will thou or wilt thou rather at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel?" And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power. So we got to catch that, that little contrast there. It's not for you to know these things specifically, but it is for you to receive power. You see the contrast there? Yes, you may not know this, but it's okay that you don't know this because I'm going to give you a power by the work of the Holy Spirit that will sustain you and strengthen you to do what you need to do, to be focused on what you need to focus on. So verse 7, again, it's not for you to know, verse 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's basically just a geographical kind of expansion. At home, our neighboring community, the wider, broader area, and then the world. It's just for them, geographically, Jesus was saying, you're going to start at home, then it's going to be going to your neighbors. By the way, they don't like their neighbors. They don't like those Samaritans, okay? Okay. That's amazing how many times Jesus used the Samaritan as either the hero or the example that he looks to, or he purposely went through Samaria because he knew he needed to because that was going to glorify the Father. And so he constantly was pointing to that. Then Judea, which is the larger region, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. So he's saying it's it's going to be this expansion of the gospel. goes on to say in verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same, now listen, now, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Now, Luke's gospel, I believe, adds that they returned joyfully. There was joy within them. Verse 13, And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room, where they abode both Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotus, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Let's pray and ask God to Affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. That we can take great comfort in knowing that when we don't know all the answers, when we don't have everything figured out, we seem to have more questions than even answers. And we come to you and we ask these things, and your response is things like this. Well, it's not for you to know. Or maybe it's as you responded to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And Lord, those sound like spiritual answers, but really it can frustrate us at times because we just want to know. I'm so, so thankful that when we don't know specifics, we don't understand what's going on, we do know that we've been given a power by the working of the Holy Spirit to sustain us and strengthen us, to lead us and guide us into all truth. And that while we may not have all the answers, We have all that we need in the person and work of Jesus Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so thank you, Father, for the reality that there's some things we just won't understand. And we're not meant to understand everything. Because there's some things that's only for you to understand. You are God and we are not. And so I pray that we, yes, although it can be humbling, that we are humbled in a good way under the mighty hand of God, not trying to figure everything out, but to enjoy the relationship, to see the mission you've called us to, to preach the gospel to those in our homes, to those in our communities, our neighboring communities, in our country at large. Lord, maybe if we stopped shouting long enough, we could share the gospel with someone. Maybe if we stopped worrying about boycotting this and boycotting that and just started loving our neighbor as ourselves, we could see some real change. So, Lord, I pray that the reality of your return will draw us into a sober way of thinking, not not focused on the frivolous things of this world or the silly things that we get consumed with, but to think, as Peter says, soberly and rightly, that this life is a gift. Every breath is a gift. And we, as followers of Christ, are called to give an account for the things that we do for Christ. But, Lord, if we're honest as the master has been far away into a far country, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we've not been very good stewards. We've been selfish, self-absorbed, self, so many other things. But I pray that we would be with excitement and anticipation looking forward to your return, faithfully serving you. Father, again, may you be glorified in all of this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter one, we read this last week and we talked about the reality that if we were to sit down with God this morning and we were to ask him, when are you coming to get us? I want to know. I want to know. He would look at us and I believe he would say what he said to the disciples. This is why we went to this text. I think that we could agree that, that if Jesus told his disciples, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the father has put in his power put in his hand, then he would tell us, it's not for you to know that, but I will tell you what you need to know. Isn't that amazing? They didn't ask, how are we going to be good witnesses, Jesus? Did they ask that in the the text? Hey, how can we go love on the Samaritans, Jesus? How can we show the Samaritans the gospel? They didn't ask that. Jesus says, oh, you know what? That question you just asked, we're not going to talk about that. But I will tell you this. And when you read the gospels, Jesus was the master of that. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3? He didn't ask. Jesus knew the heart question, the real question he he wanted to ask. And also he knows what we need to hear. But isn't it so comforting when a friend doesn't tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear? You ever go to a friend and you're venting about something and you know the answer? Deep down inside, you know the answer, but you don't want to hear the answer because you like venting and being kind of, you know, pity party me. Let me just ask you quick. Anybody enjoy a pity party? Anybody enjoy that? Couple One honest, a couple honest people in the room, okay? We all, if you didn't enjoy it, why you do it? silliness but we all enjoy that but we know we're with a friend and we're like oh i can't believe she did he did they did whatever all right and you're just complaining and a real friend will listen to you and say man i'm really sorry you're going through that but let me tell you what god's word says let me tell you how god has encouraged me in this it's not an arrogance or a condescending way of saying that that word almost didn't get out right um it's about just showing that love. And love is not just sitting idly by while somebody gossips about somebody. That's not love. When somebody's tearing themselves down, that's not love. Oh, you'll be okay. No, you say, man, let's pray about this thing. You can listen to people. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying a friend, a real friend in Christ is going to tell you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. And that's such a blessing. And so what does Jesus do here? They ask the question about the kingdom, which they're concerned about. They're tired of living under Roman oppression. They want to see the kingdom restored to Israel. They want to see these things come to to happen. They believe Jesus is the son of God. They've seen him crucified, buried, and rose again. They know it's going to happen. They believe in the prophecy of the Old Testament that Messiah will come and reestablish this kingdom. And they are excited about that. And they ask about that. And the first part of Acts 1 says that Jesus taught them about the things of the kingdom. I don't think it's referring in the first part of Acts 1 to the literal kingdom. I think he's speaking to the spiritual kingdom, the family of God, the body of Christ. He was establishing that mindset. They asked about an actual kingdom, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, that we do believe there will be a time that Jesus establishes a literal kingdom. And they were focused on that. And Jesus says, not for you to know that, but let me tell you what you can know so let's dive into this a little bit more and see, what do we know about? When will he come get us? Jesus says, not if you know the specifics, but is there anything in scripture that tells us maybe at least some things that might occur before he returns? Because we know he will return. Two things to think about. And as I always try to do, I'll give you the idea of what we're talking about from scripture. I'll tell you kind of what majority opinion ideas are about this in the church and then what we believe as a church, all right? When it comes to end times, and some of you have studied end times, you've, you've read the Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel, you've seen cool charts, you've Googled things, you've been all over the place. If you've studied end times for any amount of time, you've realized something. Everybody has a different opinion. If you get five Christians in the room and start talking about end times, you get 17 different opinions. It's just, it's crazy how that works. There's a difference of opinion on the same thing they agree on, but when and how it's going to happen. Like two people can both agree on this, and then they'll look at each other and go, well, I don't think it's going to happen when you think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen over here. And they go, well, I think you're ridiculous. It's going to happen over here. And then they argue about these silly things, okay? So I'm going to try to present that to you in one of the aspects of dealing with the return of the Lord. So the first thing we need to understand... Speaking about end-time events, or when is the Lord going to come again, the next event that will take place as far as end-times is concerned is what is referred to as the rapture of the church. Now, this is one of those debated issues. And so, again, I'll tell you kind of what we believe Scripture says, what the opinions are, and then you can, by the work of the Holy Spirit, begin to read the Word and pray and ask for God's wisdom. So the rapture of the church. The verse we're going to turn to is First Thessalonians chapter four, first Thessalonians chapter four. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can go to page 833. So first Thessalonians chapter four and verse 16. So the rapture of the church, many believe this will be the next event to occur in the end time calendar or the events of the end times. Okay. When the Lord is going to return and establish these things. So first Thessalonians chapter four in verse 16 says here, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So First Thessalonians chapter 4, we see here is the key text for what has been called the rapture of the church. Now, we have to understand the word rapture is not in the Bible. In that text, it did not say, we'll be raptured. It says they'll be taken up, okay, or brought up. The actual word is snatched away, a snatching away. This is where we get the word rapture. Rapture means to be snatched away, to be taken up. So it's a word that we've put into scripture to define something in scripture. This is not uncommon for some things in scripture. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Trinity, but we read of a triune God in scripture. We read father, son, and spirit. We read in scripture, they're, Equal as God, but individuals. And so we've called theologians, church historians have called that the Trinity. Because that's what Trinity means. It means three in one, triune God. But in the verses, when you go to like Ephesians chapter 1, where it talks about Father, Son, and Spirit. It doesn't say, Paul doesn't use the word Trinity. But he describes the Trinity. In a similar sense, here, the word that we've put to this taking away is the word rapture. All right. So just be clear on that when you're reading through this. what well, doesn't say rapture. That's what that phrase means. Uh, this is also the same idea or the same word uh, in Acts. When Philip is snatched away or taken away by the spirit, it's the same idea, same word that he's taken up or taken away. OK, and used by the Holy Spirit in a certain way. Another thing that we should understand is that this is involving the church. This is involving believers, those in Christ. This is not judgment on the unsaved judgment on the wicked, as it will be. When we talk about the things in revelation, this is specifically something dealing with the church, the believers. Paul says the dead in Christ will rise. Then we, which are alive Christians, followers of Christ will join him in the air. So that's a separate idea of rather than the judgment that's coming upon those that don't know Christ. This is specifically dealing with Christians. Also, there's no sign as a precursor to the rapture, what I mean is in the Bible, there's nothing that has to happen so we can go, okay, that happened. Now the rapture's coming. Those that hold to a view of a rapture believe there's nothing that has to happen. The, the rapture can happen at any time that God wills. There's no precursor event that happens to this. Now, let me explain that just for a moment, because in end times or in um, eschatology, which is the theological title for end times or the study of end times. Oftentimes, and we're going to talk about it with the second coming of Christ. There are things that the Bible says, this will happen. This will happen. This will happen. Then this will happen. He will come again. And those precursors are where a lot of Christians get really caught up in that. And we start, I've heard it said this way. We see a sign in everything. So sometimes, and especially over the last probably hundred years or so, There's been more and more, and I talked about this last week, people that have started setting dates for Christ's return. So not the rapture, but the second coming of Christ, which happens after the rapture, we believe. We'll get to that in a moment. But some people have seen some of these precursors or signs, the Bible says, will happen before Christ returns. And they see these in certain things and they go, oh, because this happened, this happened, and this happened, he's coming at this time. So they start to try to predict the time he's going to return based on some of these precursors. And I mentioned it last week, there was between 50 to 55 different dates that have been set that I could find in church history of individuals that have said, yeah, he's coming now. And I think I mentioned that the first date that I found was 500 AD. So somebody was already like, oh yeah, he's coming in 500 AD. And I mentioned it last week. There was also people that had multiple guesses who wrote multiple books, who people bought those books. Somebody, I think there was one individual had four dates that they set, all within like 20 years of each other. After the first one, you pretty well know this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. After the second one, eh, the third and fourth one, come on. But we talked about it. This happens today, right? So-called prophets and apostles that prophesy things. A hundred prophecies, maybe 10% come true because they're vague enough to be true. And the rest of them are all wrong, but nobody remembers the false ones. They only remember the right ones. And they're false prophets by God's word. If a prophet doesn't get every single prophecy right, they're not a real prophet. And you might say, well, some of those prophecies haven't even been fulfilled yet. Yes, but time will show those to be true because there's evidence these prophecies have already been fulfilled in some ways. I'm talking about a prophet who predicts something will happen at a certain time. That time passes. It doesn't happen. They're a false prophet. Don't listen to them. This is why we as a church don't believe in the active gift of prophecy as we see in scripture given today. We believe in words of wisdom. We believe the Holy Spirit can prompt us to think and say things, to encourage someone, to give a word to someone that would encourage them and strengthen them. But as far as new revelation never before revealed, we do not believe that is an active gift in the church today because the scriptures are sealed. There's no new revelation. It's all right here. Now, the Spirit may take a scripture verse, lay it on your heart, and then encourage you to say that to somebody in a time of need because they, the Spirit, knows what that person needs. That's not the same thing as the Apostle Paul writing scripture. And so uh, define that differently. Some would say, oh, that's prophecy. Uh, That's a word of encouragement. That's a word of love. That's a, a word of the Spirit. That's fine. But it's not brand new prophecy. And so here, when we talk about the end times events, so many have tried to predict the dates because they think they see signs coming. And usually what it means is a sign happened in your region that never happened before, but it's actually been happening all over the world. You just didn't know it. And we'll talk about that with the second coming of Christ, things like wars and the frequency of wars. Well, because wars are happening in certain areas that they didn't happen before, that must be a sign. Well, no wars have been going on forever. It's different. What, Matthew talks about versus what we see every day. So again, I don't want to confuse you, but just know that's what we mean by signs of the ending uh, end times or signs of the return of Christ. Now, back to the rapture. Uh, this idea of the snatching away or the taking away of the church. Uh, there is some debate about this, and again, as always, gives various views. Um, the The idea of the rapture has been debated heavily in the church. Um, The teaching really gained a lot of prominence probably in the 1800s. I would suggest that it's in Scripture. Again, those that hold it would say it's always been in Scripture. But the teaching took more prevalence in that time. And when that started happening, there started being different opinions on that. Um, Some followers of Christ who are fully saved don't believe in a rapture at all. There's there's no such thing as a rapture. That's not going to happen. You'll read great theologians and followers of Christ who don't believe that. Uh, some have a different end times view where they see things all differently. Um, some believe that the rapture that we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4 is actually just the precursor, the last precursor to the return of Christ. So some say that this, there will be a taking away of the believers, but then instantly Christ is going to return. It's not the rapture happens, all of this stuff happens, and then Christ comes. So again, a different view. Even those that believe there is a rapture, they think really there's going to be this second event that's going to take place. They argue and debate when. Some think it'll be before a time of great tribulation. Some think it'll be in the middle of that tribulation. Some think it'll be after the tribulation, but before the second coming of Christ. And so lots of different opinions on this. We as a church believe that there will be a rapture of the church, and we believe it will happen before the tribulation period talked about in Revelation. We believe that. However, we also consider this not an issue of fellowship. What do I mean by that? We are not going to argue and fight over someone's view of the rapture to the same degree we're going to discuss and debate the virgin birth of Christ. I hope that makes sense. When you look at God's word, there are what you'd call levels of doctrine or tiers of doctrine. The virgin birth of Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone, the word of God is the word of God, uh, Jesus rose again. These are... First tier, core, historically dogmatic doctrines. These are things the church is held to without question, and they have to be held to. But then there's other issues. Someone in Christ may believe our church does not believe the gift of tongues is for the church today. Other believers do believe the gift of tongues is for the church today. They'll go to scripture. This is the scripture I use. We go to scripture. This is the scripture we use. We have a good discussion. We agree to disagree and we're still common in Christ. We're still fine. We still have fellowship with one another because that's not a first tier doctrine. The outplaying of that might be an issue, but we don't argue and fight over that. And so in the same way, we as a church believe there will be a rapture of the church. We believe it will take place before the time of great tribulation, before the tribulation begins. It actually is the precursor to that. But we also understand there's different opinions on this, and we're not going to fight and argue about this. So if you have a different view of the rapture and you want to talk to me about this after the fact, I love to have those conversations. We can discuss those things. Um, And if you're not really sure what that even means, I encourage you to get in God's word and begin to study it. But just know, again, uh, it's not an issue of fellowship. I'm not going to sever a relationship with another believer because they have a different view of the rapture, okay? We have a commonality in our salvation, our common salvation in Christ. So, after the rapture, uh, then we see what we're going to refer to as the second coming of Christ. Now, this is not debated. This is not argued about. In, In historical Christianity, it has always been held that Christ will return. So, the rapture and the timing of that and how that looks, that's been debated The second coming of Christ, when he's actually going to return, has been a core doctrine of the church historically since the founding of the church. And we see that in Acts chapter 1. Go back to Acts 1 and verse 11. This is why this is not debated in the church. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. which also said you men of Galilee and these are again these two individuals are angels we believe you men of Galilee why stand ye gazing up into heaven the same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven so again some would say in first Thessalonians it says we meet him in the air it doesn't actually say that Jesus steps foot on planet earth in this Text. It says he will return as he went. He will come back to that point. He will step foot on planet earth. Another example would be John chapter 14. So you're in acts. Go back one book to the book of John in chapter 14. John chapter 14. Familiar passage. There's so much in here that is so fruitful and encouraging. John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Verse 1, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. So again, this idea that there's a relationship, why all of this? Because he wants us with him. he's going to come again. He's going to return. Again, this is a belief that's been held by all of Christians throughout history. Uh, In our passage from Acts, the angel declared that Jesus would return in the way that he left. Uh, Revelation says he is coming not as the humble lamb that he came the first time as, but the mighty king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's go to one more passage. Revelation chapter 19. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 874. Let's look at verse 11. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Verse 11 of Revelation 19. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. Now, I want you to think about how people think of Jesus today. Now, we think about Jesus in a certain way because of culture, right? Christian culture. Many of you went to church growing up in a little church somewhere. Most likely there was paintings of Jesus on the wall. And how did Jesus look? Look. White, brown hair, maybe blonde, blue-eyed. Some of you saw this image of Jesus, and you were like, wow, Jesus looks just like me, right? Some of you saw the picture of Jesus, and Jesus looks nothing like me. Needless to say, we have an image in our mind of Jesus that that image is not accurate. We understand that. There was no portrait of Jesus that was made while he was on planet Earth that we can go back to historically, right? We just have ideas of what he may have looked like, and most of those paintings were done by white Europeans who took Jesus and put him in England or, you know, in that setting, that, that idea, that timeline and made him appropriated to that culture. But most of us have an idea of Jesus. If not from that picture, we have it from the way Jesus has been preached to us. Loving, gentle, right? Meek and mild, which for some reason we always confuse meekness as weakness. And that's not the case at all. But we see this very timid, soft spoken, almost effeminate Jesus that we've kind of put in our minds that was never the Jesus of the Gospels, by the way. I mean, it's not a very timid Jesus that drove people out of the temple with whips. It was pretty aggressive. But here in Revelation, we read about how Jesus is going to come when he comes again. The first time he came, he came as a lamb of God to die for the sins of the world. He told James and John, my mission, you don't understand. It's here to bring salvation. But when he comes the second time, he's coming as the judge king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's, let's read this description. And you tell me if this sounds like a meek and mild, docile, weak Jesus. Verse 12, his eyes as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture, dripped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. This is how he's coming again. And I can't read that without just getting overwhelmed by the moment that that's going to be like. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? Now, thankfully, and by God's grace, we are coming as followers of that king. We are coming as servants and subjects to that king. And thankfully, by God's grace, we are not the ones that he's bringing judgment and wrath against And not because we were better than anyone else, but because we trusted in Christ. And we trusted in the blood of Christ to cover our sins. Now the Bible speaks of this return of Christ, this second coming. And again, our culture has created a much different Jesus. And I pray that this will draw you to worship and say, you are more than I can even imagine. I mean, he has a name that we don't even know. We don't even understand. And it's not for us to know. But we worship him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, he's coming as the judge. Matthew chapter 24. We're not going to turn there. But we're going to see here in Matthew 24. A summary of the things that happen or will happen before Revelation 19. So, Revelation talks about the coming of all these things. Matthew 24 was a picture that Jesus gave his disciples of things that will happen before he comes again. And Matthew 24 has been the most misinterpreted, misapplied text in Scripture, I believe, in all of Scripture. Because there's things in here that if you pull one of them out, and you don't take it in the totality of what it's saying, you can make this fit any time in human history. And this is why all the dates have been set. This is also why fear drives most Christians when they talk about the end of the world. Uh, We don't fear Christ's coming. We are excited for Christ's coming. Because we are his servants, his sons and daughters— but we do, with great concern, for those that don't know Christ, preach Christ. So here we see uh, the return of Christ in Revelation 19. But is there anything that's going to happen before this happens? So I'm going to give you some summary thoughts, and we need to wrap up. We're running low on time, and so I want to have time for communion. But if you want a copy of the notes, you can have them. I can give you a copy of that. I've always said that. Um, and so if you want that, just reach out to me. But in Matthew 24, and uh, a time that's called the Olivet Discourse... I'm going to give you some summary things, six quick summary things. Now, again, if you're trying to write these down, I really apologize in advance because you're not going to get them, okay? But, but I appreciate your effort. Um, but six quick summary things of what will happen before Christ returns, according to Matthew 24. So one of the things Jesus talks about is there will be an intense time of global wars, famines, and earthquakes. So you see real quickly, depending on what culture you're from, Famines and earthquakes in strange places and places that don't only happen. If there's a random earthquake in somewhere in the U.S., oh, Jesus is coming again. Like, we start doing that all the time. We set dates. We think these signs are things they're not. So what do we do when we see something we think is a sign or we think this might be a precursor of the return of Christ? All we do is continue to strive to be the stewards he's called us to be. Because if we are wrong and he doesn't return when we think he's going to, We're still good stewards. And if we're right, then we were serving the king faithfully when he came. And we just live for Christ. We don't have to have the answer. But again, it's interesting that Jesus gave his disciples, really gave the church, these precursors. Why? I believe for encouragement. Because there will be those that will be followers of Christ that come to know Christ, I believe, after the rapture but before the second coming. And they will live through some of these experiences. And I believe this is meant to be an encouragement that, listen, this is not all there is. I'm coming again. So, another thing that he talks about is the followers of Christ, or for the followers of Christ, there will be persecution beyond anything we've seen in church history. Christians will be persecuted beyond anything we've ever seen in church history. Now, I know in America, persecution is a little bit different than our brothers and sisters in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, and those places. For us, persecution is somebody made fun of me for going to church. And there's Christians in our country that stop going to church because family members made fun of them for going to church. That's not persecution as we're talking about it. There's countries right now where to be a Christian can cost you your life. I don't mean figuratively. I'm literally, you will be shot and killed if they knew you were a Christian. To carry a Bible openly in public could cost you your life, at least get you thrown in prison. To pastor a church doing what I do right now could get me thrown in prison for the rest of my life or killed in some countries. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming again, and there's going to be this time of great persecution, and he hasn't come back yet, that tells me that the persecution is only going to get worse. So do we bury our heads in the sand and we give up and we hide in our churches? No, we are good stewards who are living for the king who advanced the cause of Christ. Many false prophets also and false teachers will gain popularity. And as Paul says, people will not hear sound doctrine. Again, do we see this today? Yes. Bible says we have itching ears. We want to be pleasured in our teaching, what we hear, right? It's always amazing to me in the word of God. The pastor is encouraged to preach the word, to feed the sheep, but it's the people who are called to listen and apply. But so many Christians go, I don't like that pastor because he doesn't preach the style I like. Nowhere in the Bible does it say I'm supposed to preach the style you like. It says, feed the sheep. Give them the word. But when it comes to the hearing, that's on you. So you either have itching ears, dull of hearing, or those that can hear, hear. So it's up to you how you respond to the word of God. But this happens today, but again, in a greater sense. Also, before Christ's second coming, according to Matthew 24, the gospel will be preached... And all the world, to all peoples, not just nations. People groups all over the world will hear the gospel. Then there will be a time of great tribulation, uh, like as the Bible says in the days of Noah. And some of these things that we've already talked about may be happening during the actual tribulation period time. Some of these things are happening during the tribulation time. Also, according to Matthew 24, 34, the same generation that sees the beginning of the end times will see its completion. The same generation that sees all these things start will see its completion. So it's going to happen relatively quickly is what the idea is here. It's going to happen soon. Once it starts, it's going to happen quickly at the end of what's called the tribulation period. There will be the battle of Armageddon and it is when the people of earth, not followers of Christ will rise up against God in one final battle Christ will return with his saints and angelic hosts to conquer those that stand against him, as well as he will bind Satan for a thousand years during what we call the millennial kingdom, establishing a literal kingdom on earth. Now, again, the millennial kingdom, the tribulation, these things are debated among Christians. What is it going to be? How's it going to look? We don't really know a lot of detail, but the second coming of Christ is not debated. It will happen As followers of Christ, we long to be with him. We long to be with Christ and await his return anxiously. And I understand that because we experience difficult times in our world today. But as followers of Christ, we must be committed to the mission that Christ has called us to and stay faithful serving the king as he is in a far country. We are called to not focus solely on his return to the point that we forget we live in the here and now. And I love, and I shared it on Facebook. I love what someone said to me last week. Thinking of the return of Christ keeps me grounded in what I'm called to do for Christ today. And we talked about it that first week in the Stuart series, or Stuart message. How is it that we stay faithful when the king has gone away and we don't know when he's going to return? We just faithfully serve the king. And we leave the things that he's meant to know and we're not up to him. Are there things that we can look to to say okay this may happen and this may happen before he returns yes but it doesn't change our calling so the answer to the question God when are you going to come get us when I'm ready and when things have been completed when when the time is right you know the Bible says that he came at the perfect time in his first coming everything was perfect for the first coming of Christ and he has not forgotten what that looks like and he will come at the perfect time again and so what do we do we just keep looking to him We keep our our eyes on Christ. We keep our, our mind in the word of God. We ask the spirit for strength and guidance. And we preach Christ to all peoples. So that when the king returns, we are found faithfully serving the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, that as we talk of these things, Lord, I know it's a complicated issue there's so many things that have been said about this topic and so many books written and things that have been done, articles that have been written. And I know Lord that there's even those in this room right now or those watching online that have been taught or have come to believe different things than what maybe we as a church believe about some of these very specific end time things. And Lord, that's okay. I pray that we as followers of Christ would be discerning. And in that discernment, we would realize that there's, Some doctrines and some teachings we hold to without question. There's no debate. Jesus is the only way for salvation. That you died for us on that cross, was buried and rose again. And that anyone who trusts in you, repenting of their sins and turning to Christ, can and will be saved. Father, those are things we just, we know from your word. But when we deal with prophecy, Lord, from your word, there's... There needs to be an understanding that there's some things we just aren't going to get. We can have educated guesses. We can have strong opinions. We can have good ideas of what we believe the word is teaching. But in some of these areas, Lord, we're just not going to get it all. And so I pray that we wouldn't fight and bicker with another believer about minor areas of these things, that we would have good, healthy biblical discussions and be willing to say at the end of the day, we can just agree to disagree. But Lord, when it comes to the second coming of Christ... There is no debate. You will return. I know we think, Lord, but I've been hearing that for a long time. It ain't happened yet. Don't let us get apathetic. Don't let us get weary in well-doing. Let us continue to serve the king faithfully because you will come again. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. Lead us and guide us. And, Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know Christ, I pray they'd come to know you, but maybe there's a believer here today, Lord, that is just not really actively living that stewardship that you've called them to. They've grown apathetic. There's no, there's no urgency. Father, I pray we would know that your return is in your timetable. We don't know when and, and for sure uh, when it's going to happen. But Lord, you do. And so I pray that we'd be faithfully serving you. So help someone here today, Lord, to commit to say, I'm going to serve my king today and continue to serve him every day. I have breath in my lungs for his glory. Father, we thank you for how you're going to work and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we let in the song of invitation? As you sing, would you respond this morning? Are you faithfully serving your king? Are you ready for his return? Maybe you'd come and pray and say, Lord, help me to be faithful today.